Good morning. Well, uh, let me know. You can let me know if the, um, how distracting the wind is. I can go to the wind-resistant big mic and see if I can be contained in one spot. But we're going to see if we can make this work in the midst of the whipping wind. It is so good to be with you out on this beautiful morning. Um, today's a, a final message in a four-week series that we've called Kingdom, uh, Citizens in a Different Kingdom. And this morning we're talking specifically about the language associated with being kingdom people. What does it look like to speak kingdom language? I was thinking about uh, my own linguistic endeavors and, uh, you know, I studied Spanish for a lot of years, many años. I spent five years studying Spanish, pero no hablo bueno español. And I was thinking about this experience, like why all these years that I spent studying Spanish, yet I, was, I speak it so poorly. Uh, and then was thinking back about the moments where some dots were connected, and it was oftentimes, it was like while uh, spending some extended time either in Cuba or Honduras with, <clears throat> with church leaders or ministries and realizing that immersion, as many of us have experienced, into a language is a much different experience than just popping into and out of a classroom. And so five years of of coming into and out of a classroom for a few, mi- few minutes did very little for me, but a few weeks here and there actually helped a, uh, in a much more significant way. And as I was considering this, this reality that we are invited into being citizens of a different kingdom, and the reality that in being invited into this new kingdom, that is, as the love and the grace of Jesus dawns on a soul, and we are knit into the family of God, we actually are invited into a different kingdom with a different culture and a different language. Yet the, the learning of that language, the becoming fluent in that language, oftentimes is a challenge for us as the people of God. And so it's, it's into that space that I'd like for us to, to spend some time and energy to think about what does it look like to speak like citizens of a different kingdom and what does it take to become fluent in this language? Because the text that we're going to study this morning is going to show us that there's, there's two different languages ultimately. That there's a language of this world that comes naturally to us, that, that we learn very naturally. It, it, it's born of the flesh and it's what, what kind of just erupts out of us without thinking. And then there's this new language that we're invited into, the language of the kingdom. And, and we're going to see that they, these two languages have very different outcomes, The language of this world, the language that is most easily spoken, the one that marks public discourse so often, it it is a language that that corrupts, our text is going to tell us. But we're going to learn that the kingdom language does something different. It doesn't corrupt, it constructs. And so the invitation this morning, as we are introduced more deeply into this journey of what it means to operate like kingdom citizens, is we're going to be invited with all of our words to not corrupt, but to construct. To not corrupt, but to construct. And I want us to explore what that means together. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open there. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. Let me just situate us with that text before we read. We were were at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4 last week. We're now at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. And and generally in the scope of this epistle, what Paul is doing is he's saying, okay, here's all of this gospel truth. Here's all that you've seen about who God is and what he's done on your behalf and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
And now here's what it looks like to, to take off your old man or your old woman and to put on, to learn the gospel, to learn uh, this, this new way of living in response to the grace of Jesus. And so he's doing that in lots of different areas, saying previously your greed and your desire caused you to steal and to grab. And he says, but now work hard and be generous. And he's working through kind of the kingdom principles. And here in these few verses, Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, he's going to be talking specifically about what does it look like to speak kingdom language, to have words that are marked by this, this otherworldly identity that Christians are called to have in Jesus. So let's look at Ephesians 4, chapter, 20, chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. And just before we read, permit me to remind you what the prophet Isaiah says. He says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. This word will more powerfully inform our words than anything else. We would be really, really wise to pay attention. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You hear it? Paul is sketching out for us two different languages, two different ways of communicating. One that corrupts and that one that constructs. So let's first examine what is the, the language that comes naturally to us that Paul's inviting us to repent of and to lay down. Did you hear it in verse 29? He said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. None. Don't let a shred of corrupting talk come out of your mouth, which requires of us to understand what does he mean by corrupting talk? It's an interesting word choice for Paul. The word for corrupting is used eight times in the New Testament. Seven times it's used to describe rotten food. It describes rotten fish or rotten fruit. It is a word that has to do with, with food that has turned, that is no longer, uh, that is no longer healthy to ingest. And this is the only time that that word is used of language. And he says, listen, don't let any of this rotten, rancid language come out of your mouth. None of it. That he is using a very colorful word because he's recognizing that immediately when you consider rotten food, the, the smell, the taste, the look, the effects if ingested, He's saying, I want to call to mind the, the, the expectation, the experience of what rotten food looks and smells like and what it does. And then he says, I want you to think about your words in these terms. That when we speak in the kingdom of this world, it has the same sorts of effects in the world. The same sorts of ways that it can, it can unsettle and undo. And, uh, and, so what I, and then he goes on to explain, well, okay, your language has the potential to be rotten in this way to be rancid in this way. And then he begins to sketch out as if to say, I hope what you're asking is, well, what kind of language does that? And he says, well, let me tell you, let me explain. And he gives us, he gives us a, a kind of a list of things that would mark corrupting talk. I think there's a way for us to summarize it basically into, into three, 
three marks of corrupting talk that Paul's going to sketch out for us. So let's, let's look together and say, what is it that he's saying, don't let any of this come. He's, in essence, he's saying, be a, be a discerning shopper. That I want you to survey the landscape of your words. Like when you go to the produce aisle and you're going through, there's all these secrets of picking just the, the right avocado or the right cantaloupe, like certain things. Ashley doesn't send me to the grocery store for these things because she knows I don't know the rules, but there's something that you're supposed to thump and there's something you're supposed to gently squeeze and there's something that, but the idea is that you know if you're a discerning shopper, what's going to make for good fruit? And he's saying, listen, we need to be this way with our words because some words have started to turn and if ingested, if sent out into the world and ingested, they're gonna do damage. And, and then he gives us the marks. Here's how we can be discerning shoppers, how we can be discerning about the words we're sending in the world. He said, here's three marks to be aware of, to know that your words are, are rotten, they're corrupt. The first thing, you, you hear it in, in his list, uh, is, is words that are born out of anger. He says, uh, looking back at verse 31, he says, let all bitterness, bitterness and wrath and anger. He's talking about words that emerge from that moment where, where your face goes flush and your heart starts to beat faster and your fists clench. You know that moment where someone says something that trips a particular wire for you? That, that crosses you off, that it's the coworker or the spouse or the roommate or the friend that knows just how to needle in such a way that all of a sudden your blood pressure rises. And he says, in that moment, the words that emerge from that space, they're very frequently rancid. They're rotten. They do damage. Oh my goodness. Everybody hold on. We're, we're good, Mark. We'll get it later. Thank you. It's okay. It's okay. Um, that these sorts of words that emerge from anger are, are that in those moments of anger we actually become less choosy with our words it's as if when the blood pressure rises and we think I have to do something about this situation I have to set this person right I have to defend myself if we and would it be easier for me to go over here I'm, I'm, put me on this wind resistant I'm, I'm about to blow away here Chris you got me? I think this will be better and clearer for all of you. But now I've just got to stay put. We'll see how I do here. Uh, that in those moments of anger, if we don't pay attention to our heart rate, our clenched fist, the moment where, where we're not seeing clearly, we just start grabbing at the words that are closest to us. It's as if we're grabbing the rotten fruit and the rotten meat, and we just start, we start taking big bites. We start serving it out. We start saying things like always, never. You always do this thing. You never show up on time. You never do what I ask you to do because all of a sudden our blood pressure is rising and we want someone else to feel what we're feeling internally. We start to spill it out on others. He's saying, beware, this is the sort of language of this world. It comes naturally to us, doesn't it? I remember in seventh grade, uh, my mom was was asking me some questions. I think it actually had to do with the girl that I liked at the time. And I didn't like the way my mom was asking me about it. You know, that seventh grade angst and it was just bubbling up. And I remember my heart rate started to race. I, I, uh, my fist clenched and I turned and I looked at my mom and I said, I hate you. 
And as soon as I said it, you know when you say those words, like they're forming on your mouth and you're sending them out and all of a sudden it makes you sick to your stomach? And you know it makes the person who just heard it sick to their stomach? Like it's rancid. We've all had these experiences where we spoke in the moment of red-faced anger and immediately we think, oh, I wish I could have that one back. Like I wish I could... I wish I could undo what the last four seconds just did because I didn't mean it. It's not true. It's not an accurate representation of my heart in this moment, but I've spoken from the seedbed of anger. And in that space, it's, it's language of this kingdom that corrupts, that undoes. Have you been there recently? The heartache of forming and, and sending words like that out into the world? You see, anger eliminates our choosiness. And it leads to the second reality. You see, corrupting talk isn't just angry, but it lacks self-control. It lacks self-control. He chooses, he, he uses the term wrath and he uses the term clamor. Do you see that word clamor in your text? He's listing out the ways that the kingdom of this world works. And he says, wrath and clamor. Wrath is the idea that if anger is the, kind of the heat in the system, if it's the gurgling in the bottom of the volcano, wrath is the erupting of the volcano. It's the spilling out, it's the pouring out on all those around us. And clamor has to do with volume. It means that I turn up the volume to make sure that you feel the weight of what I'm feeling and the churning inside. He says the kingdom of this world will have us responding and reacting out of this space. And we begin to erupt. We begin to pour out. It's the boiling over and it's the turning up of the volume. But the truth is this, the venting of anger never makes it better, does it? Does it? Have you ever been in the moment where you just let it out fully? You erupt and you pour it out and then at the end you go, ah, oh, doesn't that just make everything better? It never works. It's like oxygen to a fire. It just stokes the flames that as soon as we let it out a little bit, it's like the rush comes. And all of a sudden we're in this place where I, I, my boys and I were, were having this conversation. We were working through this text last night at our dinner table for no particular reason. It wasn't, it wasn't because we needed to talk about it for any reason. It just, we were, we were talking through it. And so we ended up looking at some pictures. We Googled images of landscape after volcano eruption. Have you ever done this? You know what happens after the volcano erupts and it cools off? Everything is either gray and ashen or black. All color and life has been covered over. It is a scorched earth scenario that the kingdom of this world teaches us to speak in such a way that anger gives way to a lack of self-control. And when we spew it all of a sudden covers over and it reworks the landscape. Some of us right now are living with roommates or with spouses where there have been so many eruptions and then cooling over that all of a sudden it, you look around and it all just kind of looks and feels gray and ashen and dark. That we've had interactions at work with a, a coworker where now it's just awkward and tense because it's kind of, the anger has subsided, but, but the spillover and the eruption has squelched growth and life and color and vitality. And now what we have is this landscape that, 
that feels monochromatic. It feels like it lacks vitality, that, that when we speak naturally the kingdom of this world out of our flesh, this is what happens. It corrupts. It corrupts. And the last note here is this. The last note is that corrupting language is angry. It lacks self-control. And for that reason, it wounds. It wounds. The last words, slander and malice, this has to do with attack. Deconstructing another person. Ad hominem arguments. Thankfully, we don't see this at all in the public discourse, do we? That the content, right? That the content of the argument ceases to matter and we just deconstruct the other person. That, that in fact, the kingdom of this world teaches us to communicate in these ways. That we live in a moment, and this is what we've been wrestling with as a people, that we live in a moment where the exchange of ideas respectfully and in a, in a manner that's understanding has become very difficult. And as a result, what has flooded in, what is natural to us, is not to actually deal with the issues, but out of anger and a lack of self-control, just to start to wound and dismantle others and to think that if I can do more damage to the other than they do to me, then that's a win. This is the language of the world, that we are in a place where we are in, involved in character assassination, either to someone's face or to behind their back. This is how slander and malice work. So my question before we move on is this, where have you had a steady diet of rancid words? Like who in your life right now has, is still trying to come out from under the lava that has covered them over? that's still trying to heal from the last eruption. And where do we as the people of God need to start with our own hearts in repentance? I just, I would say this. It may be that right now you need to write down someone's name in your life that you have been communicating out of the kingdom of this world and you need to go and repent and say, it's not okay that I've responded in this way, that there's been a lack of self-control that my volume and my tone have been so out of touch with what I say to be true in the world. You see, the invitation of the text is first to, to not corrupt, to lay down your corrupting language. And the question then is, well, well, what should our language sound like? How do we speak kingdom language? Well, we're invited to construct. Did you hear it in the text? If you look back at verse 29, it says this, but only such, this is the second half of the verse, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then again in verse 32, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here's the language of the kingdom. And there's, there's three marks that I think emerge Likewise, as to what, what language of the kingdom looks like. The first is this, that it is, it is building up. It is good for building up or constructing. Paul is literally using an architectural term here, saying the construction of something. I'm actually contributing to the building up of something. And the idea is this. Each time we're interacting with someone, we actually have, as we become discerning with the words that we form and send out into the world, we have the ability with each interaction to think, this person in front of me is going to be more the man or woman they were designed to be, 
when I'm done speaking than they were when I began. That's what Paul's saying, that kingdom language is stepping out in the world and going, each word is an opportunity to construct and to build into what, what God is calling the people around me to be. I'm reminded, I, I for years got to lead trips to to a, an orphanage where we were building a wall. We were slowly constructing a wall around this orphanage. And I went back on several occasions and we slowly over the years saw over this large kind of facility, saw a wall start to come up. And, and we would do our work while we were there and then we'd leave and we'd come back and it was this progressive work. And while we were there, we would wake early and you just lay bricks all day long. You just lay bricks and you're working together because we were trying to create a safe place for these kids. But it was a work that, that took multiple years and that was never done. But each time you had the opportunity to say, well, I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to lay some bricks. And as we laid bricks, we continued to see the wall come together that ended up spreading a really massive amount of space. And that the invitation is to look at our lives like every day we have this set of bricks that we get to put out into the world that we get to construct into the lives of another. He's going, we actually have the ability to build up I think the first key to understanding constructive language, did you see the word only there? Only? Only speak words that are useful for building up. The first way to start tapping into kingdom language is just to talk a lot less. <laughs> like, if we took this advice, that we were so discerning with our words that we thought, okay, do I speak this one or not? And the question is, I don't know, is it going to help build another person up to be what they were intended to be? If that was the litmus test for the formulation and the sending out of your words into the world, if I were to actually think like that, do you know how much less I would speak? There would just be fewer words. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just needlessly fill the space say unnecessary things. Because the truth is, in the multiplication of words, that's where folly finds its way in. That's where I start speaking the, the native tongue that's marked by anger and a lack of self-control. Can you see how lack of self-control and multiple words would be connected? That I'm not being controlled about the words that are passing over my lips because I just say whatever comes to mind. Oftentimes we'll think our litmus test is just, well, is it, is it, true? Or maybe just, did I think of it? Did it come to mind? That may be the only litmus test for you of whether or not you're going to say something. And as a result, in all of those words, we actually can, can do a great deal of damage. The, the invitation from Paul is saying, listen, 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 slow down, consider, and then only speak words that are helpful for building up. And the, the great beauty there is that all of a sudden we get to be a part of constructing life and health all around us, seeing slowly and progressively the wall being raised up, beauty being created around us as men and women are looking more and more like what God has intended them to be. The second note is not just that it builds up, but, but that it fits the occasion. Did you see that? That's in the middle of verse 29, as fits the occasion. The idea is this, it is possible, I mean, I think some of us in our maturity, we begin to study the scriptures, we begin to love God, we want to grow up, and we start asking ourselves the question, not just did I think of this, 
not just a, is this something that I thought was interesting, so I'm just going to immediately say it. But we, we grow up a little bit and we start saying, well, is it true? Is it true? Does it align with God's word? And that's a good question, but it's not the last question. Because the struggle is this. It is possible to speak in an orthodox way, totally in alignment with God's word, and it still be rotten. This is exciting. We just really don't know what's about to happen. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate it. Um, I think we're good. Look at that. Thank you, Finn, as well. Muscle man. Okay. Uh, the idea being that even orthodox language and even true speech can be rotten. It can be damaging. We as a staff, we've been looking at on and off over the last few weeks at some highlights from the book of Job. And the interesting thing about Job's comforters, Job's friends that are described as miserable comforters, is that they are saturated in scripture. His three buddies come in and they are just pouring out scripture. They've got it memorized. They've got it on the tip of their tongue and they speak it constantly. But Job looks back at him and he goes, you know what you are? You're miserable comforters because your words do not fit the occasion. You need to speak less and consider what would build up and to construct another. And there's this reality that if we are going to speak kingdom language, we're thinking, what is going to benefit another? And then later on, he uses the word tenderhearted. I think tenderhearted helps us understand what fits the occasion, because literally by tenderhearted, what he means is it's compassionate. It's I'm feeling what you feel in your organs. If we so walk through life saying, I want to, I want to pause and slow down and actively consider where the people are around me what they're walking in and what they're feeling. And then out of that space, I want to speak a word fitly spoken. That that word that fits the occasion will produce tremendous benefit. It will construct and build and, and, and will be a blessing. I remember the other note when, we, when I was doing my, my somewhat elementary masonry work. I know very little about Mason. I, I built a wall. I built it over several years. That's all I know. And you lay the brick, you, you slather on the mortar, you lay the brick, you slather on the mortar. And we would do that all day long. But there was interesting, you had to, when you were working through the bricks, some of them were cracked and unusable. And so we put those in a pile. But when you got to the end of the line, you lay brick, lay brick, lay brick, lay brick, and you get to the end of the line and there would be a little space and we'd have to go back to the stack of cracked bricks and we'd have to pick one that was about the right size and then you'd have to chisel it down and shape it and fit it right in. And there's this idea that the vast majority of our conversation, we can just aim to be encouraging and to bless and make that just home base. Like we just lay on the mortar and we just love with our words. We walk through life and go, I just want to build up and to construct. And then there's moments where we need to slow down and consider that there may be a hard word that needs to be spoken. There may need to be a challenge or an exhortation. And in that moment, we need to pause and consider where the person is and chisel and prepare that brick and place it just so. And I think, quite frankly, the other note that I was thinking about my masonry experience is that I would lay about 10 or 12 bricks before I'd have to place one. 
And I think if we made it our aim to walk through life and in the relationships close to us to say, encourage and love and bless 10 times over, that when it comes time to give the challenging word that fits in just so, if you have laid a lot of bricks, a lot of encouragement, a lot of love, that challenging word fitly spoken in that space is going to be able to be received. It's going to have a profound effect because that person will know you are so for me and you've thought about me, and you're placing this right where it needs to go, that that sort of kingdom language is constructing beauty. It's building life all around us to build up and to speak as fits the occasion. The last note is this. The third mark of, of kingdom language is that it builds up, it fits the occasion, and for that reason, it imparts grace. This is amazing to me. The last of verse 29 and the second half of verse 32. Look at it with me. It says, you see the little word after as, as fits the occasion, the little word right there? It says that, it's a purpose statement. This is why we're doing all of this. That it may give grace to those who hear. And then skipping down to verse 42, it says, be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The interesting thing about the word forgive there, it's not the typical word for forgive in the New Testament. It literally just means full of grace. So earlier he says it will give grace, and then later he says it will be gracious. And in essence, what he's saying is the reason we do this is our words have the potential to impart grace in the world. It's almost as if what he's saying, you know, there's these means of grace, these ways that we connect with God and receive from him. This is one of them, corporate worship, sitting under the preaching of the word and taking communion, that, that it's, it's sacramental. As we take communion, we take, and by faith, we, we are filled up with Christ. We say, we want grace to be imparted to us and be filled up. Paul, in essence, is saying kingdom language produces sacramental conversation. <laughs> like the I, kingdom language produces l conversations that almost have this like sacramental feel that as we are laboring to understand where another person is and was, we're covering them over with love and we're issuing words of challenge in the right moment that all of a sudden people are going, I am tasting more of the fullness of God because of your words. Like when you speak, God is filling me. This is the invitation of kingdom language. This is so otherworldly. This is not what we see in public discourse and the way that language is leveraged for power. The way that we try to build a platform and make others think that we're impressive we, we grasp at eloquence and authority, and we think that if I can make you respect me, that I'll gain some sort of power, and it's going, it was never about you. And as long as your language is about you, it will be language that just like lead falls back to the earth. It is, king, it is of the kingdom of this world. But when all of a sudden we realize that our words are a gift for the benefit of others, that if we walk through life going, I only want to speak if it's building up. And I want it to fit the occasion just so, because when it does, it will be nearly sacramental in nature. It will be imparting grace. People will say, I know what it means to be loved by God. I know what it means to be loved by God because Ryan Wernett speaks to me. You know what I mean? Like, 
that when he forms words and he speaks them to me, I all of a sudden know more of God. I feel loved by God. Like, that's kingdom language. That's the invitation. And the, the, final, the final question is this. How do we do it? Because I don't know about you, but the kingdom of this world, the language of this world is always nipping at my heels. It comes very naturally to retreat to language about me that's trying to convince others of how important or impressive we are. We're trying to speak out of the moment of anger or frustration, lacking self-control, self-promotion, all of these ways that the kingdom of this world is going to shape our language. How can we engage in a different language? Did you notice in this text the immersion into the Trinity? That if we think we can learn this language, I want to I show it to you in the text, but if we think we can learn this language like I tried to learn Spanish, popping into and out of a classroom here and there, like, I, you know, I'm, I catch a church service here and there, maybe I'll catch it online, maybe I'll pop in and out of house church here and there, and, and, and thinking that by, by dabbling, we're going to be reshaped in the way that we speak. It was like thinking that I could pop into and out of Miss Arango's class and come out fluent in Spanish. Never happened. But in immersion, we begin to experience it. And this text immerses us into the work and the love of the Trinitarian God. Did you hear it? It says this. It says that God... It says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In verse 32, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. What you have here is this, God the Father sealing and forgiving his own, that he came to love his children and call them back to himself, that the Father adores you. The Father who created you knows you and loves you and adores you. And the way that we know it is through the work of the other two persons of the Trinity. That as he was seeking to forgive and to seal, he sent his son and his son stepped into the world and he spoke grace. Like people with awe, with their chins hanging open would say, no one has ever spoken like this man. Who speaks life and power and truth and grace? Who gets down in the dirt with the woman caught in her sin? And he says, who condemns you woman? Neither do I. Now go and sin no more. He speaks grace and life and truth and word fitly spoken. And what was poured back out on him was corruption and deconstruction. That people crying out, crucify. That, that people with their language poured out rotten language over this king that all he ever did was speak rightly and truthfully. And Jesus actually was deconstructed by the, by the sin and the rebellion of the words and the hatred of this world. That he actually absorbed all that we deserve as he bled and died on the cross. And in this text it says, Be, uh, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you that he absorbed all of this rancid language and then began to speak grace and life and hope over us. And then you see the Father, the Son, and lastly, the Spirit. It says that you've been sealed by the Spirit and, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That the Father set his affection on us, the Son accomplished it, and then the Holy Spirit comes and seals us as his own. He says, you're marked down in your heart by the, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he says, let me tell you, I just want, 
as you are surrounded by the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, he says, do you know how the Spirit reacts in the moments when you are pouring out rotten words? He says he's so grieved, and the word literally means mourns. It means very sad. Tears on his proverbial face that the Holy Spirit is calling, oh, my kingdom child, surrounded by the love of Father, Son, and Spirit. We are trying to wrap you up into ourselves, and you continue to retreat to the language of this world, and it saddens me so deeply. You see, the Father, Son, and Spirit is inviting you in to say, listen, the God of the universe loves you and wants to wrap you up. And as you meditate on the work of the Son, as you consider the presence of the Spirit, as we find ourselves caught up in this Trinitarian God, it's our immersion in him day in and day out. It's our walking in him and meditating on the ways that he has loved him. It is in the moment when we grow red-faced and angry that we pause and we consider his love and we pray for the person in front of us that we will stop sending corrupting language into the world and we will begin to construct. And so would you receive the love of Father, Son, and Spirit this morning fresh and full? Know that he has forgiven you, that he loves you, that he has stamped you as his own. And as you soak in that, let us be the sort of people that, that take up kingdom language. Don't corrupt. Construct with your language to the glory of God. Would you pray with me? So gracious God and Father, thank you that you do love us. I pray that today where we have falsely assumed that you have anger towards us and wrath towards us, that we would behold your son absorbing your wrath for sin and turning your wrath towards love and affection for us. I thank you that through faith in Jesus that we are ushered into a total different way of existing. I pray God that we would be people who receive your grace. I pray that if there's anyone here today that is new to your love, that if that's you, that as you're hearing this, that feels otherworldly, I just, would you, would you hear this good news even in this, in this moment of meditation? That there is a way for you to, to come home to the kingdom of God, to be marked by a, by a different spirit and a different language, that by faith in Jesus, you can find entrance into the Trinity to be loved by Father, Son, and Spirit, and to be made into a new person by simply admitting your sin and placing your trust in Jesus and committing to walk with him in faith, that you can be transformed and see the landscape of your relationships move from, from being scorched earth to being vital as people are built up around you. God, would you make it true that we're the sort of people that in faith step into that space and build up those around us for your glory. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.